Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two special guests, Justin and Alex. Justin and Alex, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe Alex going first? Yeah, wonderful. It's a pleasure being with you today, Tom. My name is Alex van der Poek. Um, I head up corporate social responsibility globally at SAP, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Okay, and Justin. Great. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, Justin Van Fleet. I am the president of Their World and the executive director of the Global Business Coalition for Education. Okay, could you, Justin, maybe explain what those two are for people listening who might be unaware? Because I think most people know what yeah. SAP is, so I didn't ask Alex to explain that. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Um, so Their World is a global children's charity, and we're dedicated to ending the global education crisis and unleashing the potential of the next generation. And our Global Business Coalition for Education is a group of businesses that are committed to that same mission and vision. Um, and we bring together businesses on a non-competitive basis to look at how they can make a greater impact in addressing the education crisis worldwide and generate value for both the business and for society. Okay, sounds excellent. You mentioned something called the global educational crisis or the global education crisis. That might not be a term that people listening are familiar with. So could we maybe have a chat about that? Alex, do you want to kick off and tell us what you understand as the global education crisis? Yeah, I can definitely start with that. But I know that Justin has has much more to add to that. That's why I said I'd have you start. Well. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I can start. Um, no, look, I think uh, I think what a lot of people are not aware of is that we are indeed in a significant education crisis. And maybe just sharing one statistic with you, what that means is um, if we continue in the same way that we do today with all of our efforts um, in education and workforce development, but particularly in education, it basically means that by 2030, 50% of the world's youth will not have the most basic skills for employment. And that means math and reading skills. And just to give you an impression of what 50% of the world youth, world's youth means, that's 825 million young people. That's a significant number. And that basically means we're failing by providing young people with the most basic skills and competencies to find gainful employment and to lead a successful life. Okay, that's that's counterintuitive, I would have thought, because from data I had seen, I had assumed that global literacy uh, rates were increasing. So uh, how, how do we square that circle? Justin, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is what keeps me up at night. Uh, this is this issue of the global education crisis that Alex just you know, laid out for us. I mean, 
half of the next generation not on track to have these most basic skills. So these are the young people that never have a chance to go to school. There's 260, a quarter of a billion young people today that will never walk into a classroom. This includes children that will start school and for some reason or another, whether it be forced labor, they have to work um, and help out their family, whether it be married off at an early age as a, as a young woman, they'll drop out of school. Um, and then we have this overlaying crisis that, that goes on top of this, that even young people that go to school and complete a full primary and secondary education are attending schools that do not always have the best quality uh, education. We're not investing enough in the teachers. We're not investing enough in the curriculum. We're not investing in what works to create environments for children to be able to learn and safe spaces. And so we have children leaving school every single day without those basic skills that, that Alex was talking about. And so while we think there might be a general literacy rate, a lot of the surveys that are, that are taking place in communities are showing that young people may be able to read a word, read a sentence is a bit more, and comprehend something is even more difficult. And so those boil down to real life decisions. If you're a mother or father trying to read the prescription bottle and give your child medicine, it's a life or death decision, not having those basic skills. And if we're leaving half of the next generation behind, it's it's a big problem that's not just an education problem. It's a problem for peace, security, climate change, economic growth, you name it. Um, and that's that's why I think it's such an important issue. And, and that's why I'm so happy that we're talking about it today. And that's why we're here. This is something that we know we can change, but it's largely unaddressed in, the, in a serious nature. And just help me out here. Are the trend lines going up? Are the trend lines going down? Are the trend lines flat? How is that working out? So I think maybe maybe I'll start and then Justin can jump in again. Uh, but from my understanding, the trend lines weren't that bad. I mean, they were flattening out. Um, and there's very specific reasons for that. And that has a lot to do with uh, the right kind of financing for education that I think Justin will be able to speak to quite well um, before the pandemic. So maybe flat. But the pandemic has truly, truly reversed a lot of the gains that were made in education. Um, and I think we all know those statistics because they were talked about in the media quite significantly, right? I think at the, at the peak of the pandemic, one billion children were out of school. And unfortunately, you know, in countries where you and I live, um, you know, schools were trying to provide online and remote learning opportunities. And when kids were coming back to school, they, all of them were coming back to school. That's the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> but when they were coming back to school, they also tried to make up for potential um, learning loss that happened uh, for a few months, right? But this has not happened in many countries across the world. We have countries like Uganda where schools were closed almost two years. Ooh. And I can tell you, many of those kids are not going back to school. Once they've been out of school for two years, they will not return. Um, you know, girls will have been married off. Um, boys will be working in the fields. Um, and there's no incentive uh, to send them back to school. Um, so there's a real reversal of um, of any gains that we've made because of the pandemic. Wow. Wow. And I'm guessing there's a certain amount of peer pressure there as well. If the schools have been closed and everyone has gone out, it's not a question of one person having been taken out of a class. It's a whole class going out. 
Exactly. I mean, and it's and it's those trends that we're we're seeing. It's also the relevancy of the education young people are being offered. That's one reason why many may not return if they don't feel what they're learning in that classroom is going to help them have a better future. They may actually make the choice to to opt out and not return. And and, and building what Alex was saying, for every if a child misses one year of school, they are fifty percent less likely to return mm. than they would be if they had a continuity of education during that that year. Um, and these trends are abysmal. I mean, the pre-pandemic number, which is which I assume was better than where we are today, was showing that one out of every five young people in sub-Saharan Africa would have the most basic skills that they would need to enter the workforce in 2030. I mean, it's in less than 10 years' time. And that's with improvements from where we are today. Wow. Wow. And we're coming up on World Refugee Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, we, We've seen an increase in conflict globally in the last number of years, particularly the last couple of months here in Europe. Is that something that's impacting as well? We have the largest refugee population since World War II. The most number of young people that are displaced within their own countries, fleeing other countries in, in search of, of safety and, and, and just a basic place to, to live safely and enjoy their childhood. 75 million children that are out of school are out of school because of conflict, emergencies, natural disasters, reasons that are causing them to flee. And we see it, you know, we're still dealing with the aftermath of the Syria crisis mm-hmm. that you know, started about a decade ago. And today with Ukraine, we have over 5 million displaced Ukrainian children that are tr- now trying to figure out how to get an education, to continue an education, mm-hmm. either within Ukraine or in the neighboring countries. Um, and it's, it's a real challenge. And we're seeing these crises contribute more and more to the problem. Um, as opposed to you'd, you'd hope and think in this day and age, we'd see less and less crises of this. Yeah, yeah. But, but maybe to put a, you know, I think we, we, this is all a very doomsday, right? What we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, my, my, my next question was actually, Alex, how do, how do we fix it? What do we do to, to make that right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I could start with, with Ukraine, because I, I think um, I think what's a little bit different there and what we've seen um, in our work um, with humanitarian aid organizations that are trying to support especially Ukrainian children and youth is that actually um, the Ukrainian educational system and the Ministry of Education was pretty well prepared for online and remote learning because of the pandemic. They had actually um, they had actually put all of their curriculum for both primary and secondary school onto online platforms um, during the last years. Oh. Um, and I think that is now helping in this situation because most of the uh, the children that are fleeing Ukraine or that have fled Ukraine end up in locations where there's access to um, to re- digital access, right to remote and online learning. So as an example, there's a um, there's a, a distance learning platform called um, Optima School. It's probably one of the largest um, online learning platforms um, that is accredited by the um, Ministry of Education by Ukraine. Um, they have 100,000 children learning currently on their platform. Most of them are actually still in Ukraine, but can go to school. Um, and the, the beauty of that platform is it's not just the content that is there on the online learning platform, but there's tutoring and mentoring and actual teaching happening on the platform. Um, so the kids are able to continue with the school curriculum um, of the Ukrainian school system right. uh, while they're displaced. And I think that is... That has maybe been, you know, one of the 
silver linings in this and in this particular situation that's unfortunately not true for many other um, populations fleeing conflict okay justin yeah no, i think that's that's actually a really important point that the, that the aftermath of the pandemic has actually allowed digital learning to take place and it's, it's made it a bit of a softer landing pad than traditional refugee crises um, in what we're seeing in Ukraine right now. And, and also, I think, compared to other um, refugee situations, we're seeing an incredible hospitality from host countries wanting to accept students, wanting to help them integrate into the schools, wanting to double shift some of their infrastructure, wanting to allow them to continue to use the Ukrainian curriculum. This isn't always the case, um, and hopefully this trend in a positive direction that we're seeing. And, and more on the positivity, just because I do realize it was a bit of a, of a doomsday. I can get really excited when I'm trying to convince people there's a big problem we need to get out there and address. Um, we do know what to do, and there are examples of things that are working. We did a study where we looked at some of the best performing countries, and not best performing in terms of best scores, but in terms of the rates of improvement, the rates of progress that they were making in level. And we compared country to country, sort of in low-income countries, high-income countries. And if every single country would adopt some of these best practices of the best performing rates of improvement of their peer countries and peer income brackets and regions of the world, within one generation, you could have every single child on the planet in school learning and leaving um, better prepared to make a contribution to society and the economy. Um, and it boiled down really to four things that these, these countries are doing that are making a huge difference. They focused on performance. So they were looking at what money went into the system and what it was actually achieving and making adjustments in that way. They were focusing on innovation and not just technology, but also the ways that we teach, the ways that we support teachers, um, the ways that we're creating learning environments. They focused on inclusion, the last mile, the most marginalized children, whether it be a girl, a young refugee, um, a child with a disability, and they're funding education. They're putting their money where their priorities are and making sure they're putting about 20% of their budgets, domestic budgets, into their education systems. And when they're lining up those four pillars, we're seeing lots of progress take place at rapid rates. Um, and it, it happens in rich and poor countries alike. So it's not an issue to just for a rich country to be able to make rapid improvements in education. Um, it's really showing that anybody can do it if there's political will. And how do we, how do we push to make that political will happen. I mean, we have to agitate obviously for it. Is it is it just that or are there other things that we can do? I actually think that companies have a big role to play in this as well, right? Because um, maybe throwing a few more statistics out there and sort of bringing the company view in this because honestly companies ha should have or and have a very high interest um, that education is going to change. Um, because actually the the investment that companies are putting into upskilling, um, you know, future workforce and current workforce is pretty significant. And a lot of that has to do with uh, with gaps in educational systems um, that come before, right? People just not having the right skills and competencies. So let me throw a few more statistics at you there. Um, there was a study done by Corn Ferry not too long ago, uh, which is called The Future of Work Findings. And in that study, it, there's an estimated total talent deficit of 85 million workers in 2030. And that amounts to 8.5 trillion US dollars in unrealized revenue globally. Wow. And that's, that's more than 
GDP of the UK and Germany combined. Right. So these are there's significant numbers behind that, right? Um, at the same time, what we also see is that, and this is particularly relevant for a company like SAP, that by um, that about one third of all jobs worldwide are likely be, to be transformed by technology mm-hmm. in the next decade. This is according to OECD. And as one third, that means one billion jobs. Right. These are massive numbers, right? And obviously a company like SAP cannot do this alone. <laughs> so it's basically the whole private sector that sort of needs to uh, needs to step up uh, and get involved. Um, and again, as I said, there's an immediate uh, an, an immediate interest for companies because of the talent shortage that many are facing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can take two views on this, right? You can basically say, you know what? Let's just invest in our immediate talent pipeline, which is what a lot of companies are doing, um, including SAP, of course, as well. Um, but I would argue that every company should take a much more long-term view. Um, in supporting real systemic change in education to ensure that um, they can be successful or we can be successful as as businesses also in the decades to come and not just in the next few years. Okay. Justin, anything to add there? No, I think that's that's a really great point, Alex, because what we see is a lot of companies are faced with this immediate acute talent shortage. And so they'll run programs to sort of put a Band-Aid on the problem. We need to retrain people entering the system, but the, the skills that companies are missing out on, I mean, we look at the, the stats where 40% of companies can't find the skilled employees they need for a lot of their jobs. It's their skills around problem solving, working together in teams, um, being empathetic. And these are skills that young people can't learn as quickly or as well at the age of 18 or 25 as they can at the age of three, four and five. And so if we're looking at, at that long-term vision that, that Alex is alluding to, you know, we have companies and governments prioritize and invest in early childhood education. The impact will be astronomical in terms of the learning levels of those children as they progress through school, their likelihood to stay in school, and a lot of the soft, non-technical skills that they'll also gain and have at that early age. And so if you want to look at a 15-year talent pipeline, the medium long-term vision actually is in investing in, in early childhood education in a lot of the communities where companies have interest, whether it be talent pipeline, future markets where they're hoping to have um, consumers with wages that they could um, buy their goods and services, um, markets where they want to have general stability to operate. All of these things are linked to education. And we can't have a planet that's not crumbling um, and degrading itself if people aren't educated to understand the issues around climate change. And so education really underpins these issues. And it's not, um, it can't only be a short term, let's find um, young people to fill these jobs today. We actually have to look a bit more in the longer term. We're going to solve this. Okay. Okay. And where to from here? I mean, what should we be doing next? So I think that there's a few different things, right? Um, but maybe sort of bringing, I, I was just re- thinking about your earlier question on, on refugees and, um, you know, I was talking about Optima School, but, you know, I think this whole, the whole online learning um, arena has a lot of potential, right? To To reach the most marginalized and disenfranchised, which is unfortunately very often um, refugees. Um, there's another really good example of um, of how to, 
you know, provide access to quality education. And that is through actually access, access to tertiary education, which is also a problem, right? Because, I mean, a lot of young people who are coming out of secondary school um, don't have a university place, even if, even if they want to, even if they had the money to do it. There's not enough places for every person that comes out of secondary school to go to university. Now, if you add to that sort of the cost element to it, um, you see that there's a huge need for more online type of learning environments, also in tertiary education. And there's a, a really good example of an organization that does that really well, and it's called the University of the People. They have argued, arguably the largest online, they're the, arguably the largest online university on the planet with 117,000 students. Wow. Okay. Um, and they have the highest number of refugee learners as well. There's, mm. I think, now about 10,000. Um, and we were so convinced of this whole model that we actually decided to, um, to partner up with them as well and to offer scholarships um, in computer science and in, um, in business administration. Just because we saw that the platform is is really powerful, but also the quality of education is very, very high. So there's, I would say, basically two things. One is look out for these kinds of innovative models that Justin was also talking about. And there's so many out there. Um, look for the experts, though, uh, because they're out there. And we in the companies might not necessarily, necessarily be those experts, even if we sometimes think we are, but we're not. <laughs> um, and lastly, especially for companies, what I would say is don't look at this purely from a company perspective, right? Don't look at this in a very siloed way. There's every company in one way or another does invest in education today. But frankly, maybe the way that they're investing today is actually not creating the highest impact. So really look into that. Is what you're doing really creating the highest impact? And how can you actually partner up? How can you collaborate with others, other companies, other sectors, to make sure that you're driving real systemic change and that what you're doing isn't just a drop in the ocean? Okay, very good. Justin, anything to add? Yeah, I'd like to add that the United Nations is taking a stand on global education. The Secretary General has called a major transforming education summit to be part of the UN General Assembly this September. And he is challenging countries around the world and businesses around the world and young people and communities to think about and take action on what, what we need to do to actually transform in a positive direction uh, education in this post-COVID era. And one area is around finance. There, Even when com countries invest the maximum amount they can from their domestic tax revenues into education, there's still a $59 billion shortfall. That's after all of the UN agencies and the World Bank and the major donor countries get involved. So we need innovative financing for education. And there's this new initiative called the International Finance Facility for Education that's coming online, which is going to help make that possible for any country that has a plan uh, to educate young people and invest up front, they shouldn't have to wait for funding to come. And so there's really new innovative financing models that are coming down the line, which are really exciting. Um, we need to create demand in countries. This is parents speaking out and demanding that their education systems perform better mm -hmm. for their children. And also young people themselves. We have a network of 2,000, we call them global youth ambassadors, and they're education campaigners ages 18 to 30 in 108 countries around the world. And we train them so they can go and have these conversations in their communities, speak with political leaders, help raise the profile and the need for investment in, in education. Um, and then as Alex and SAP are doing, set examples as businesses. 
governments listen to what businesses are doing. They listen to the priorities of CEOs. They listen to those drivers of the economy in their communities and countries. And if business is saying education and improving the quality of education is going to help us remain and do more uh, in these communities, governments will, will listen. And, and thinking about how to do that strategically and how to make a greater impact so it's not just a lot of small, short-term, one-off programs that aren't adding up to, to the sum of their parts, but really bringing together these partnerships, working with other com companies, working with governments, working with other NGOs to really form partnerships that are much greater than the sum of their parts. And that, that's what we're, we're about at the Global Business Coalition for Education. And Alex and, and her team has done a tremendous job at SAP of really taking that to heart and being a leader in the field and bringing other companies behind behind this vision of prioritizing education and, and, and moving moving the needle on this issue. Fantastic, fantastic. We are coming towards the end of the podcast now, folks. Is there any question I have not asked that you wish I had or any aspect of this we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? I just like to highlight that everyone can get involved. There's something for everyone to do. And so I'd encourage if you're just an individual that thinks this is an interesting idea or issue that you'd like to do something about, I'd, I'd say go to the theirworld.org website, sign up for the newsletter, hear what's happening out there in the space, learn about opportunities to get engaged in the issue in your community. And if you're a business, um, I'd say go to the Global Business Collision for Education website and join. You can actually start to get tools and resources with no financial commitment. We want, we, we want to get companies in the door and working with others and learning how to do better. Um, and so it's a great community of like-minded peers. So if you're a company that wants to make a difference, um, we've, we've got resources. And so there's something that everyone can do to help address this challenge and make a contribution towards a better future. Nice. Alex? You know, I think that sometimes companies have this tendency to um, look at issues in the world and think that they have to prioritize certain issues above others, right? Um, and I think, unfortunately, what we've also seen in the last few years is that education has become a little bit deprioritized for many companies to invest in um, because there's been such a huge demand and push uh, for companies to uh, reducing their carbon footprint and to look into that, right? To become really um, conscious in terms of climate change and circular economy. And I think the key thing that I think is important to understand that it's not an either or kind of situation. And um, that um, I believe every company, yes, obviously needs to make all of the necessary investments in terms of climate change, mm -hmm. but they actually also need to make exactly the same kinds of investments when it comes to education. And because education is the key to solving many of the problems that we're facing in the world. Um, so I would just make want to urge everybody to make sure that nobody deprioritizes it <laughs> and keep, keep making the investments and look into resources like what Justin was saying, what they're offering. And he was also mentioning the United Nations before. Um, there's a wonderful multi-stakeholder partnership initiative called Generation Unlimited that both of our organizations are actually part of that is trying to bring all of these different stakeholders together to create real change uh, when it comes to education. Basically, they want to make sure that by the end of 2030, every young person is in education, training, and in employment. And I think that's a goal that everybody can, can be behind mm -hmm. and should be easy to join up. Superb, superb. 
Folks, if people want to know more about yourself, Alex or Justin or any of the topics we covered in the conversation today, where would you have me direct them? Maybe Justin, go first. I would say um, our website's the best place, theirworld.org or gbc-education.org. Okay, and we'll have those links in the show notes as well. Alex? Same thing on our end, right? Go to the sap.com website. Um, there's various ways how you can get to the to the work that we're doing uh, in corporate social responsibility, but you can either go to the sustainability sites, um, you can also go to the purpose sites, um, and it typically leads very quickly um, to these kinds of topics. Okay, superb. Alex, Justin, thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, thanks so for much. having me. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.